name is Dylan. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to the branch. Um, So if you've been with us the past few weeks, we've been going through the book of Genesis. So we're doing an eight-week series in Genesis, uh, walking our way through, and then we're going to get to Exodus, and then we're going to slow way down and take our time to go through Exodus. So we're looking forward to that. We're about, uh, I think, midway through uh, this series in Genesis, uh, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, But before we do, I want to take kind of a tactical pause Uh, to pray for Ukraine. Uh, I know I'm sure everybody in here is up to speed, at least to some degree, on the situation there with Russia invading Ukraine and currently trying to take the capital um, there. So I want us as a congregation to pray for for that situation, for the Christians there, for uh, the fighting going on, our troops and uh, others. So I want to invite you to pray with me uh, now uh, for them. Father God, thank you for this day. Lord, there is um, a lot of calamity and destruction and sin running amok in Ukraine with the Russian invasion of that country. Um, Father, our hearts break uh, for the people there and for all of the death and destruction that are taking place. Um, Father, we do pray that uh, the Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian military would be able to uh, withstand Russian troops, although that it does not seem likely. Uh, but we do pray for strength for them as they are trying to hold down their homeland and protect their families and protect uh, the people that are there. Um, Father, we pray that you would crumble the Russian uh, regime from within um, to prevent uh, further conquests from taking place. I pray, Lord, that you would convict um, the leaders in Russia's heart, uh, leaders of Russia, that you would convict their hearts of their sin and that you would point them to Christ. Uh, They would see the error of their ways and pull back from this conquest. Father, we lift up uh, the troops, um, our troops that are mobilizing as we speak, those that are already in Europe, those that are getting spun up now and preparing to depart, to um, beef up the presence there. Lord, we pray for them, that you would strengthen them in their training uh, as they train together as a unit and as they train with allied nations, uh, that you would strengthen their abilities Uh, to fight and win our nation's wars. We pray for their families as the families are holding down the fort at home, taking care, uh, taking care of the family and continuing on here at home. We lift them up to you, Lord. We lift up the churches uh, of the families that you would love and encourage them as their loved ones are away, potentially going to fight in a war, depending on how things turn out. But we lift them up, Lord. We pray for the Christians in Ukraine. Uh, for the pastors there, for the, the church leaders that are there, for the members and for all the believers uh, in, in that country and in those surrounding as well, that they would seek your face in this time and this um, time of destruction that I know I cannot imagine uh, going through. We pray that you would strengthen them, Lord, in your word, that you would point them to your word, and that they would continue to trust and be faithful and obedient in you and whatever that looks like. Um, We just pray for them as they go. We pray for our leaders as well as they are making decisions about what our role in all of this is and what it looks like going forward. We pray that our leaders would have wisdom and our allies would also have wisdom in this uh, time to de-escalate the situation. But Father, we lift up um, the situation in in Ukraine. Uh, Pray, Lord, that you would bring peace um, to this situation and that you would uh, continue to work and move. We know that you have a plan We know that you are good, um, but we don't know how all this is going to unfold. But I pray, Lord, that we would all trust you in it and continue to seek your face as we go. 
We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So that's sort of the things going on in Ukraine and Russia kind of really honestly help to some degree transition into what we're going to talk about today to some degree, um, at least in the, as a way of introduction. So no one, no one is expecting Ukraine's military to, to hold off Russia, right? I mean, that's, that's not at all in the cards of what anyone remotely expects uh, to happen. And what we read earlier in Judges, uh, or what Gabe read earlier in Judges 7, uh, we see a really a remarkable situation that God uh, ordained to take place. And so as a quick recap of what Gabe read, essentially what was happening there is it was in the time of the Judges, so Israel was in the land. If you're with us when we preached through Joshua a few years ago, um, that's much later than where we are in Genesis. Um, they're, in the, they're in the land, they're doing every, whatever was right in their own eyes, sin was rampant. Uh, but there's this group, the Midianites, uh, that they were, gonna, they were about to have to go fight. Israel was going to have to go fight this group. Israel had 32,000 soldiers starting out. So that's what that text was getting at, was it was 32,000 soldiers. The Midianite army, you see in chapter 8, had 135,000 soldiers. Who likes those odds? I'm not raising my hand, just so you just, right? That's not good. Um, for a fun fact, so I'm in the army. Um, the army doctrine for... Uh, considering when to attack someone or, or when that would be a good idea, is you really ideally want to have a three-to-one ratio. So in other words, if we're going to go attack, we, we really want to have three soldiers to every one we're going to go attack. We don't want to play fair. Um, this is completely the opposite of that. It's 32,000 versus 135. But God uh, said, as we read through there, that no, 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 th- th- this is too many. There's too many. The 32,000 is too many people. We need less than that. So through the course of what we read earlier, God dwindled down this army to 300 men. 300. That is not very many, right? In general, that's not very many uh, for any kind of military operation, let alone 300 against 135,000. So the, the question here, excuse me, is, so what was happening there? So Judges 7-2, I think it will be on the screen, said this. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So in other words, what God was doing there was saying, no, 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 there's going to be no question whatsoever over the, the, who's going to win this battle. Israel will win this battle, but it is not because of their tactics or their abilities or their numbers or anything else. It's, it is impossible for 300 men to beat 135,000 apart from the act of God, period. And that's his point. So I bring this up because I know you're thinking, hey, we're in Genesis. What are we doing way up in, in Judges, right? So the reason I bring this up is this, this is a, a prime example of situations where God essentially ordains things to take place that looks like it's going to be impossible, it looks like it is entirely impossible for something to take place, yet he brings about and does and overcomes that impossibility to bring about his good purpose. And he does it all for his glory. He, there's nothing too big for God to overcome. And so as we move to Genesis, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 21. Uh, we're going to see another example of this in Isaac. So this week we're covering Isaac. Uh, last week Abe covered Abraham, next week will be Jacob, and then Joseph after that. So we're covering the patriarchs here in Genesis. Um, 
And what I hope you see in Isaac's life, the significance of him in Scripture, really the, the biggest thing is just the fact that he was born and the way that came about. And we're going to see that as we continue to move along and unpack, uh, unpack this text. So if you're with me in Genesis 21, we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says this, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now, we get the birth of Isaac, right? So here we are, Genesis 21. We were in Genesis 15 last week, so we fast-forwarded about six chapters uh, in Genesis. We have the birth of Isaac, and we see a couple things. So look with me again at verse 1. It says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Now that right there is, getting, is really pointing at a, a really a large part of what we want to see, is, and, and that is God fulfilled his promise. We sang about it, right? We rest in the promises of God. God fulfilled the promise of, of Isaac, of that Sarah would bear a son. And this is really the first step. And what we're going to see, because we're going to walk through this in a minute, but we're going to see over and over again is God telling Abraham, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless the nations through you and your offspring. So naturally the question that we keep coming to, and what we're, again, what we're going to see in a minute is, okay, there's going to be all this offspring, but God, I have not had a child yet. Right? If you're going to have all these offspring, you have to start with the first one. You have to, have, you have to start somewhere, right? There has to be at least one for that to begin. And here we see the birth of Isaac, which is great. I mean, praise the Lord for his birth. I also want you to note that Abraham is 100 years old. So we're going to look at his age as we follow this story in a minute. But when Isaac is born, Abraham is 100 years old, which is significant, right? I mean, that's who, who would have thought somebody 100 years old would have a baby? I mean, that's something you do in like your 20s, 30s, you know, time frame, not when you're 100. Um, so that's, that alone is significant, which we'll continue to point out. But look again at verse 6. It says, And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham and Sarah, or to Abraham, that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I mean, you could just see there, in a sense, feel her finishing that statement with thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that he fulfilled his promise. And thanks be to God that despite all things, well, I had a son and he was born. So turn to Genesis chapter 12. So what we're going to do uh, over the next few minutes is walk from Genesis 12 back to Genesis 21. So if you've ever seen one of those movies where you get the first initial scene of like present day and it's taking place and then you're like, okay, how did this, how did this happen? And then it's like, bam, flashback, 25 years. That's what we're doing right now, right? So flashback, we're going backwards. Um, as Doc once said, we're going back to the future, right? 
Right? Anybody? DeLorean, you know? Um, you haven't watched that. It's good. Um, I saw a DeLorean in LJ the other day, and I thought it was going to take off, but it, it didn't. So it didn't have all the flex capacitor stuff. Anyway, that's beside the point. So we're going back to Genesis 12. I want to make a quick note um, before we start. So in Genesis 12 and onward to some degree, um, Abraham is known as Abram. Sarah is known as Sarai. Name changes later. For sake of clarity and speech, I'm just going to refer to them as Abraham and Sarah the whole way through, except for when I'm reading Scripture. Is everybody good with that? Everybody I'm recognizing it's important, significant name change that takes place, but uh, for clarity's sake, I'm going to just refer to them as Abraham and Sarah, just to get that out there. Um, all right, so that being said, well, one more thing. Sorry, one more note, and then we're going to look at Scripture, okay? Uh, so I want you to see in Scripture how this took place. So we're going to read a lot of Scripture here in the next few minutes. I want you to, so have your Bibles out, be ready. Uh, I'll point to it. In some cases, we may just read and keep going. In other cases, I'll stop and give some commentary and then we'll keep going. But I want you to see this unfold in scripture and how all this took place leading up to Isaac's birth. Um, so with that being said, Genesis 12, verse one says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed verse 4 so Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran look down at verse 7 we're going to read that as well verse 7 says then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Now, this is the initial encounter with God and Abraham, okay, or Abram at the time, Abraham. It's the first initial encounter. So he's 75 years old at this point. So again, we've, we've gone back in time 25 years uh, to this initial encounter uh, with God and Abraham. And God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. And then in verse 7, he makes clear, to your offspring, I will give this land. And now we know, if you look, at, if you look up a little bit at chapter 11, verse 30, it says, Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. So in this, in this portion, right, she, she had no children. She was still barren at this point, had no children after uh, all these years. Uh, but God is making known to him, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless you through your offspring. Okay, so keep that in mind. So we're going to fast forward now to con for chapter 13. Some context of chapter 13 is Abraham and Lot uh, separate. So if you don't know who Lot is, Lot is Abraham's nephew. Uh, so they're going to go separate ways. They're going to say, hey, we're, it's not going to work out. We're going to go our own direction. So just know that that took place. So look at verse 14. So this is chapter 13, verse 14. It says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. 
Now here we see God up the ante a little bit, right? So not only is he going to bless Abraham through his offspring, but not, not only that, but his offspring are going to be numbered as if you can number the dust of the earth. Now just try to imagine that. Like we all have dust in our house or the, you know what I mean? Like try to imagine uh, counting those particles, right? Making the point that there is a great number uh, that is of blessing that's going to come through your offspring. All right, next move to chapter 15. So turn to chapter 15 with me. Um, we covered this, Gabe covered this extensively last week, but we're going to really focus in on Isaac's portion of this and how that fits into this narrative. So in this portion, God is making a covenant with Abram at the time. So look at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Elizer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So, so right here we have some time that has passed, right? So some time has passed, some different things have gone on. We're in chapter 15 at this point, and Abram is saying, Hey, God, I have no offspring. You keep telling me, you know, number, uh, you're going to have offspring as numerous as the stars. You're going to bless me. You're going to be a great nation. All these different things that God is promising him. And he's saying, God, I, I don't have a child. I don't, I, I have Eliza of Damascus. I mean, I have the poindexter from the accounting department. Like, is that who you want the heir to be? I mean, really? I'm, I like accounting, by the way. So I'm, if you're an accountant don't, and you're offended, I'm with you. So, um, but anyway, the, like this guy, really? Like, you want this guy to be the heir? Because this is who it is right now. Like, come on, God. Like, what are you doing? I have no child. This man is going to be my heir. What are we doing? So he's feeling some, some sense of, you know, impatience and some, you know, I think genuine understanding of, God, what are you doing in this case? Now look with me back at verse 4. It says, And behold, the word of the Lord, this is again in response to that, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So here God is reaffirming, No, no, you will have a son. So now we get more clarity. Not only your offspring, but he's making very clear it is going to be a son that you're going to have. And it is through this son uh, that, that will be your heir. So it's not going to be this other guy. You're going to have a son. It's coming. He's going to be your heir. He's making that known. Look with me at verse 13 and verse 18. Verse 13 says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Verse 18 says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. See, over and over again, God is telling him, offspring, offspring, offspring. And in this case, earlier, you will have a son. So we see it continually. A lot of time is passing by, which we're going to get to that again in a second, um, as this continually unfolds. And so we get some tension in verse, or not verse, in chapter 16. So look at me at chapter 16 uh, and see what happens here. This is, you know, shortly after what we just read. Chapter 16, verse 1 says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, 
Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. So ten years have passed since God first met Abram uh, in that time. So 10 years have gone by, still no offspring. You know, it said in verse uh, 1, Sarai had no children still at this point. So there's this tension here of, God, what are you doing? You've told us over and over again all, all this about the offspring. How are you going to fulfill this? So Sarah comes up with this plan of, well, it's been this long. I still have no children. So maybe you should take this servant woman, be a wife, and uh, have offspring that way. Maybe that's how God was wanting us to make this happen. So let's, let's come up with our own idea, our own plan, and bring about this purpose, because that apparently is uh, the way that she thought this would happen. And she rightly understood, look at, at verse 2, she rightly understood that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. It wasn't... She, she knew that it was the Lord's doing that she didn't have children. She also knew that the Lord had promised them offspring. So she knew both of those things, yet she decided to make her own plan in how to make that happen and not trust in the promises of God in the way that he was going to deliver um, the, on the promises that he had made with them specifically. And so this causes some, some tension, right? If you read further, which we're not going to for time's sake, but if you read further, there's quickly uh, some strife between Hagar and between Sarah, which would make sense, right? I mean, this is just a, um, a difficult situation that I don't think any of us can really imagine uh, taking place uh, as far as the problems that would come along with this. But nevertheless, that took place. So they came up with their own plan, which we'll talk about more in a minute. But look with me at the end of chapter 16. Uh, it's verse 15. It says this, And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So it was a pretty quick turnaround. He's now 86, so 11 years have passed uh, since then. Now look at chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall, not be, the, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Now look down at verse 15. You may have to turn the page, uh, but look down at verse 15, and we're going to read that as well. Verse 15 through 18 says this, And God said to Abraham, so this is after the covenant of circumcision was given. This is a continuation of what we just read. It says, And God said to Abraham, As, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and she said to him, and he and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? 
shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now here, again, we we see more clarity on what God is doing. Not only is Abraham going to have a son, but you're going to have a son through Sarah. Sarah is going to have the son. Now, make note of this. Abraham is 99 years old at this point. So in other words, Ishmael is 13. So a significant amount of time has passed, and there is no mention in between Ishmael's birth and this text that gives any indication that God made known that Ishmael's not going to be the heir. So it seems that as far as Abraham could tell, up to this point, Ishmael was going to be the heir, as far as he knew, I suppose, at least as far as I could tell in the text as well. And so he's getting this news from the Lord, right, that, no, no, your names are going to change. You're going to have a son through Sarah. You're going to have a son at 100 years old, and Sarah's going to have a son at 90. So he's bringing some clarity to this. And you can see in verse 18, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. In other words, he's like, God, are you like, for real? What are you talking about? Like, we're, we're old. Like, I, that ain't going to happen. Oh, I'm 99 years old. Sarah's 90, or going to be 90 if she's not already. And you're telling me that she's going to have a son? Ishmael's 13. Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. Can he not be the heir? Is he not the heir? Is essentially this overwhelming emotion that seems that Abraham is feeling. I mean, this literally says on verse 17 that Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? I mean, I, mean, I don't know how else you would respond to that, 100 year old. I mean, again, that's just, it's shocking, right, that this is going to take place. It's shocking to him. Now look again at verse 19. Let's keep going. It says, God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. And then it goes on to give more about Ishmael. But again, God is reaffirming, no, no, Sarah, your wife, will bear the son, and I'm going to make my covenant with Isaac, not with Ishmael. And we're going to get to more of that in a minute. But no, again, this is shocking to him. And now we're, we find ourselves at chapter 18, which is the kind of the climax of this, which is going to bring the most clarity uh, to the significance of what's taking place. And we're going to unpack that in a minute. So, other, so as we get to chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 9. But know that before that, three men showed up uh, onto the scene, uh, and they're speaking on behalf of the Lord. We don't really know a lot about them or what they're doing, but they're speaking on behalf of the Lord. And they're the ones that go um, call an airstrike on Sodom later. Fun fact. Um, so cha- uh, verse, nine, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 9 says this. This is chapter 18, verse 9. And they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent, at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? 
So again, we get even more clarity here. This is, this is where it's about to, we're about to really ha- understand what's taking place. So Sarah said, the, way, or not, but the scriptures say that the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So in other words, she physically was beyond any kind of childbearing years. I mean, she's 90 years old. Uh, but, it's, but at this point, we know for sure, it's imp- physically it's impossible for her to get pregnant. It's, it's past that point in time. There is no way for that to take place by any kind of human means or human ingenuity. It's that time has now passed. Yet, God is making known to them, not only now he's given a timeline. He said about this time next year, she's going to bear a child. So now he's making it even more clear, like this is about to happen. This is about to take place. But she's in shock, excuse me, in shock. But she's, how can this be? I can't have children. But then we get clarity on all of this in verse 14, or I guess starting 13. 13 says, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's, that is the climax of Isaac's story. Is anything too hard for the Lord? God did all of this. I and mean, this was a long time. This was, at this point, 24 years. It'll be 25 when he's born. Of God working and moving and doing a lot in Abraham and Sarah's lives and constantly reminding of the promise, constantly giving more clarity on the promise throughout all of this time to the point that the, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So it had gone so long and it had taken this, all this had taken place to the point that the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. That it was impossible. She was not going to have a child unless God intervened. There, there is no question that Isaac's birth came from the Lord. That's it. They, they tried to have their own way with Hagar and, and Ishmael by, by figuring out a way to make it happen, but that wasn't the way. That wasn't the way that was supposed to... That's what human ingenuity made that happen. God's promise fulfilled and His grace made Isaac's birth take place. Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's like what we saw in Judges, right? That they may not boast before me for their accomplishment in defeating the Midianites. It's the same thing. God orchestrated that event to be the 300 men to show his goodness and his kindness and his power so that he would be glorified in all things. Same thing here. God is all the more glorified for this because of the way he brought it about and the way that this took place. Look again at chapter 21. I want to read that again for us, the birth of Isaac. So now we fast forward to the next year, to the appointed time. I remember God said at the appointed time, about this time next year, she will have a son and you will name him Isaac. So in chapter 21, we're going to read our text again. It says this, starting in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, 
as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now, if you didn't feel it the first time we read this text, I, th- I think and I hope that you feel verse 7 now. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Thanks be to God, for God is good. Because there was no way this was going to happen apart from God's grace. No way. You could just feel the tears coming down her face acknowledging that who would have thought that Sarah would have borne children or had a child. Thanks be to God for he is good. I mean, you just feel the weight of this. I mean, this is 25 years. 25 years. What were y'all doing 25 years ago? I mean, think about it. I mean, some of y'all might have been, you know, doing some cool things, but a lot of us were not either not born or we were really young, right? Probably only had about one 25-year span. The others maybe a little bit more. Um, right? 25 years. Not a long time. A really long time for us and for them, for that matter, that it took for this to take place. But it, but it did. And it did only because of God's goodness. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no. Of course not. Nothing is too hard for the Lord, as we see here. And God got all the more glory for this because of His goodness and His kindness in bringing all this about. And so, as we start to land the plane to some degree, although we may do some touch and goes, um, you know, what does this mean for us, right? So, what is the application? What what are we taking away um, here in this text? So, I essentially have one primary point of application Our salvation that we have with the Lord for all of us who believe and have faith in Christ came about not by human means, but by the sovereign grace of God and His power. And we should rest in that today. We should rest absolutely in that. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Who would have thought that man who has sinned against an eternal and holy God, that there would be a way for us to be reconciled back to Him? Many men, probably including all of us, in some sense before we were believers, have all tried to make our way back to God. I've tried to make things good again or to try to do the right things or to try to work our way to salvation or to work our way into God's favor or any of the list of things there. But it's not by human will or exertion. It's not by human Uh, thought or ingenuity or ideas or excitement. It is only by God's grace and His power because He sent His Son. The Son of God had to come be born of a virgin woman, live a perfect sinless life, never sinning, never doing anything wrong, doing it all perfectly for 33 years, went to the cross willingly, sacrificed Himself to atone for the sins of His people. That is what it took for us to be in God's favor, for Christ's righteousness to clothe us and for us to stand before the Lord. That is what it took. I mean, that, I know we, we probably all know the gospel, we've all heard the gospel, and the weight of that sometimes may uh, escape us to some degree. But I like, think about what it took for that to happen, for us to be able to rest and have peace with God in all things and for eternity. It took God coming down to be in the form of man and sacrifice himself on a cross. That's the only way that we can be reconciled back 
to him. And so we should rejoice in that. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I want us to read a text there to really um, bring home this point. Ephesians chapter 2 be a long way from Genesis towards the back. Uh, the scriptures past the Gospels. Uh, we'll give you a moment to turn there. We're going to read about 10 verses here. I'll give you another second. I still hear pages turning. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1 here in a moment. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus." Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. I praise the Lord, right? Thanks be to God for this passage and for Christ and what he did for us. This is, this is good for us as believers to be reminded of, be reminded of the gospel. We, we, you never promote out of the gospel as believers. That is always going to be the central um, important theological understanding that we're going to have that needs to be applied to our hearts. We never, we never outgrow the gospel in the Christian life. So even as believers, this is profound and important for us to be reminded of God's goodness and his kindness towards us and the simple fact that we could not do it on our own ability. There is no ability that we have that can make this happen. It is only by God's grace uh, that makes that happen. So if you're here this morning and you, and you don't know the Lord and um, you, know, you haven't accepted Christ as Savior, I would implore you to do it to lay your life down at the feet of the cross and repent and believe in the good news so that you can be at peace with God. For all the believers in the room that have done that, it is, this is a reminder to us that, we, that what Christ has done, that we stand before the Lord redeemed because of Christ's righteousness, not because of our own, and that there is no way we can do on our own. It is only by God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no. So as we conclude, as we finish, what in your life do you see as being impossible that you, you, just, you just don't know that, that it could happen, right? That you look at something, you say, I don't know how this is going to happen. What do we do? You know, it could be, you know, how, how are we going to provide for the family? How are we going to pay the bills? How, you know, who's going to protect us? Who's going to take care of us? Can I be delivered from a sin or a particular group of sins that... You're stuck in, 
is, you know, is, God, is this person, is this family member or friend too far gone in their sin to believe in the Lord? You know, will the Lord save them? Have you lost hope in that, that that could happen? Because it can, it absolutely can. But it is also hard sometimes to see that in reality. It's hard to, sometimes to, to believe that to be true. But it is true. Provide for a job, get clarity on the next season of life. We have a lot of people about to graduate college, a lot of people looking at the next step and uh, careers and what's next. You know, is anything too hard for the Lord? There's a whole list of things we could put here and whatever it is going on in your own life. Remember that. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And we can trust in that as we go. We can trust in that in the small things in life and in the great big things in life as well. And I hope that that is an encouragement to all of us to remember because God always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises and nothing is too hard for the Lord. So let's go from here and proclaim his great name and glorify him in all that we do. And the first way we can you know, really step towards that is, is to take communion. So as a congregation, uh, we take communion uh, every week. Uh, so it's a time for us uh, as God's people um, to take the bread that represents Christ's flesh uh, that was uh, torn on the cross and take the cup of God's wrath that was for us that Christ took on our behalf. Uh, to take that and it's as a time of remembrance of Christ and the gospel. To take that in a time of remembrance of him uh, to humbly come before him uh, and all that he's done for us. So let's go into a time of communion, uh, a time of prayer, uh, and then in time of communion.